oh, I've been waiting for this day. October 2nd, it feels like it's late to start Bible study, but it's perfect for those of you who are getting kids ready for school and transitioning from summer routine. It's been perfect for me because I had knee replacement surgery eight weeks ago today, and I've needed every moment of it just to stand before you. So, um, yeah, well, I'm not quite feeling great enough yet for the clap, but we'll get there. (laughs) But yeah, I'm on a path of healing. Um, Anyway, it's so great. I would love to know, and I know this might be just a little embarrassing, but um, would you just raise your hand if this is the first time you've ever been part of this group, that you've ever come to the river? Oh, wow. Awesome. Thank you. I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you. It's great to see new, new names come through the roster. And we're just so, this is a place for every woman of every age to come and gather and study God's word together. Um, I guess I'll, I'll introduce myself to you, just for those of you who are new and you don't know me. My name is Marianne. I'm the pastor to women here at River West. Um, I'm just, I think I'm, I've just into my sixth year. I've hit the five-year anniversary. So um, the river is about six years old. Actually, the first year I was here, I started as a volunteer. Then the next year came on staff as women's pastor. And um, this is our sixth study. Where's Jamie? Seventh study? Seventh study. Okay, yeah. Isn't that great? It's the perfect number. Seven. Awesome. Um, So let me show you a picture of my family. Uh, That's my family. Um, My husband, Bob, and I have been married for 35 years. Isn't that crazy? It goes by so fast. Yeah. Um, And uh, he is in a job transition. So now you know how to pray for our family. He is in a job transition. So that will be unfolding, I hope, in the next few months. Maybe I'll have something new to report about a new job for him. And um, my son, Adam, he is back at the the PowerPoint, actually. He works here at River West. Um, Adam is 31, and he is the director of communications here at River West. So we get the joy of working together every day, which is absolutely amazing. It's so much fun for us. Um, and he is here with us on Tuesdays. So he makes sure that everything I tell you is absolutely true. <laughs> he, is, he, he, he hears everything, and he'll say, mm, no, he doesn't. I, I, he and I are the truth-tellers of the family. We always tell the truth, <laughs> which is not always pleasant for other family members. <laughs> uh, but it's great to be here with him. And then my other son, Spencer, the one who looks like my husband, um, you can see that each one of my kids look like one of the parents, um, Spencer is 26, and he works at Nike, and he loves his job at Nike. Um, He's in talent acquisition, so he helps people get on that road to finding new jobs at Nike, and he loves it. We all live together. I know that's weird. Um, I left home at 17 and never went back. Many of you in my generation didn't hang out with your parents once you became grown-ups, and of course, In my generation, we got married earlier and started our families, but that's not the world that we live in anymore. And both uh, of my kids live at home. Obviously, Adam lives at home because he needs extra care in order to live an independent life. So we are a family of caregivers. And it's a pretty cool dynamic. Um, Of course, I hope they both will get married and have their own families and their own spaces to live one day. But for our family, which is pretty unique, um, we we live together. So, So I take care of Adam in the morning and during the day, and my husband takes care of him at night, and Spencer takes care of him overnight, anything that he needs in the middle of the night. And That's really an amazing dynamic because it allows each of us to be out having our lives in the world and um, being adults and then also living together really as friends, which is just such such 
a blessing. I didn't feel like I had that with my parents in the same way that I get to enjoy it with my kids. Let's see, what else can I tell you about me? Um, I started, I went to college at Montana State, and I started my, my life in the business world. I thought I was going to be a businesswoman. That was what my dream was. Started with a company called Hallmark. Hallmark, back in the day when they had Hallmark cards and Hallmark shops, not just Hallmark channel. Um, and I loved that job. And then when I got pregnant with Adam, I transitioned back home and I started a, a, my own gourmet gift basket business, which I was able to do out of my home for many years. And then the Lord kept calling me to ministry, kept, kept giving me jobs in the church and things to do that kept me serving him. And that was really my passion. And so went to work um, at one point for a church where I was a program director of a of a church that was very seeker-oriented, and um, did that for about 12 years. And during that time, also started attending a Bible study called Bible Study Fellowship. Many of you know of that. Attended it, then was a group leader, and then was asked to be the teaching leader. And the year I was asked to be the teaching leader, which was 2003, my husband was asked to be the teaching leader at the same time. So we stepped into this journey of learning how to teach the Bible together, him to the men and me to the women, he is still doing that. Um, 15 years later, he still teaches the men's class at Lake Grove Press. And at some point, God transitioned me here where I get to, got to start the river and be part of this amazing team. So it's just great. Um, I uh, got a seminary degree along the way, went to Western and studied um, biblical and theological studies. And then currently, I'm in a doctorate program at Gordon-Carnwell where I'm studying spiritual formation. So the awesome thing is that everything I learn, I get to teach you. I'm just a conduit. God just teaches me, and then it just flows out to you. So um, I'll be bringing to you lots of things that I've been learning. But anyway, welcome, welcome, welcome. So glad that you're here. And I actually have a thought-provoking question for you because I've been thinking a lot about this question lately. What in the world is happening? What in the world is happening to us in this generation? I don't know about you, but I just feel like sometimes I'm in the middle of a swirling tornado. Life is swirling super fast. The world is changing exponentially. And I just sometimes just want to pause and try to understand what is really happening. Am I just caught up in everything that's happening, or do I really understand what's happening in our culture. We're living actually in a culture of accelerated change. That's what characterizes the 21st century. It's, it's a culture of accelerated change. And um, it's affected the pace of our lives. Am I just alone in this? Like, the pace of our lives is crazy. And um, our culture is changing so fast. And it's changing in many different ways. The culture is changing. The way that people are living and uh, across the globe is changing. We see refugees moving into different areas. The way that we interact, we don't interact anymore as like states and nations. We interact globally with each other. And then it's also changing the way that we engage in our social relationships. So look at this chart that I've been thinking about that just kind of summarizes change in our, in our history. As you know, if we go back, when we study the life of Jesus, when we study the Gospels, we're looking at an era where the world was an agricultural world. That was, the age was the agricultural age, and that was the age all the way up to 1860. So many of us, um, I have great grandparents who lived back in that day. 
it's true of them that, that people lived in rural areas. They lived out in the country, and they had extended families living near them. You know, in those days, you lived in a place where your grandfather lived and your great-grandfather lived and your great-great-grandfather, and so people who knew you back in those days, they didn't just know you. They knew your whole extended family. They knew the whole history of your life because people didn't move. They lived for ages in the same places. And so there's, there was this deep sense of connectivity, a deep sense of community and of relationships. And, uh, that, and that was life. And life was more leisurely. And life was more full of fresh air and, and the outdoors. More full of danger, too, for sure. But that was the agricultural age. Well, then, starting in 1860, we embarked on the industrial age. This was where my grandparents lived. This was the world that my mom was born into and my dad. This was the time when, when we started producing things. We started producing goods. And so people started moving into the cities. Many people came from Europe into the cities. We had a lot of immigration at that point. And so the cities started to build up. And then so families ceased being like big extended families living out in the culture, but they started to be more nuclear families living in cities. Now, I know like in cities like New York, there was like Little Italy and Chinatown. So there were still people who grouped together in larger bodies, but more so the norm became families living together and more into the city. It was the industrial factory age. Now, 1960 ushered in the information age, and that's the age that we're presently in. We've been in this age since 1960, and so what's happened with the birth of information and technology is that we've had more of a one-world experience. You know, we, we know what's happening all over the world. People are moving easily all over the world, getting on planes, traveling. All of that has changed since 1960. But what's also happened is families have become more fragmented. There are more people living alone as singles in the world than any, any other time. Single families, single individuals. There's just a very different way in which we come together in community. The information age has changed our world so incredibly. Now, because I was born in 1960, I have lived through, actually, I've been born, I've lived through, my whole life has been part of the, the birth of the information age. And yet, I remember a completely different world than the world that we're living in. I remember um, a world where, actually, um, there was, there, okay, there were no cell phones. My first cell phone actually was... I think in the 90s, and it was a big bag phone. It was like a little suitcase that you carried with you. <laughs> and you could plug it into the car and talk on the phone, but it was this big, huge thing. My first computer was the size of a sewing machine with a little green screen. I mean, I remember, I was an early adopter of technology because I love technology, but I remember life without those things. How many of you remember being able to go to the grocery store and be totally alone? Nobody calls you. Nobody even knows where you are. In my family right now, we have location um, tabs on each other's phones. And my husband can look at any time and know where I am. And he's like, I know you're at the grocery store. Pick up. <laughs> we remember a world. I remember a world where I was bored. Actually, I spent much of my childhood being bored. And that's part of why I think I'm so busy as an adult, because I didn't like being bored. But I remember being bored. Wouldn't it be nice to be bored just for a few minutes? I remember a world where we weren't constantly interrupted, where our thoughts weren't constantly like squirrel, you know? It's just we had this moment to actually think our own thoughts. And I remember that world. I remember a world where we turned on those three channels on TV, <laughs> and actually, when there was nothing on, we turned it off. 
How weird is that? What do we do now? Oh, we go to Netflix and we find a series that has seven seasons, 20 episodes apiece, and we spend the next two weeks of our life binging on something. What has happened to our lives? They have changed so dramatically in just this span of 50 years. Now, the information age has birthed our technology, which we love. But it was supposed to make our, our lives easier, and it really hasn't. It has made our lives so much more complicated because we are bombarded with information overload every day. Do you, isn't this how we feel? I'm, I'm really interested in what's happening as a, as a Bible teacher, as someone who is speaking God's worth into our culture. I want to understand our culture, and I want to understand myself. I want to understand what is happening. Because otherwise, if I don't understand it, I'm just swirled up in the middle of it, and I don't ever pause to go, wait, let me understand what's happening to me and make some decisions around that. But let me tell you this. This is going to blow your mind. There's been more information produced in the last 30 years than in the previous 5,000. More information has been produced in the last 30 years than in the previous 5,000 years. Information is now doubling every four years. So the amount of information that we know, every four years it doubles. If you're in the technological realm, information is doubling every two years, which means that somebody who's going to college and studying a technological, for a technological degree, by the time they graduate, the information is already extinct. It's already old. They can't possibly keep up. Every single day, there's one million blogs on the internet, 3.6 trillion words written, which equals 36 million books every day. That's how much data is out there. There's more, more data is produced in two days than all of history up to the year 2003. So we're all in the state of information overload. The world, this, is, this will blow your mind, the world is as different today from 50 years ago, so it's different today from 1968 as it was from the time of Christ's birth all the way up to 1950. It's as different today as 50 years ago as it was from the time of Christ's birth all the way up to 1950. There's so much information that's being produced in our world that we can't process it adequately. For example, if you read one week of the New York Times, just one week, you would take in more information than a person who lived in the 18th century would know over their entire lifetime, just in one week. Okay, are you starting to understand what's happening to you? <laughs> Why you just feel overwhelmed with so much information? They say that people who are coming into our churches today have never been more anxious and depressed than ever before. And it's because they don't know how to process. We don't know how to process this information overload that we're living in every day. We're confused. We don't know how to assimilate. We don't know how to discern truth from reality. And we don't know what's reliable data and what's unreliable data. And part of that is because you know this. If you go onto the Internet and you search for, to answer a question, you'll find so many answers to your question. And then you'll find so many counter answers to that question, right? So when we, when we want to find an information, there's as much counter data points as there are data points. And so we walk away and we're like, I don't even know how to think about this. 
It's overwhelming. And so what happens to us is we get on the internet and we start looking for something or we start gathering information and we get all this counter information and then we get all these things coming at us that we weren't even looking for. They just start dropping into our screen and, and then what do we do? We go like, I give up. And if you're like me, you turn to a video game or funny dog videos. You know, it's just like, uncle, I don't know what to think about this. I can't even shop online. I start pulling up Nordstrom online and there's so many options. I'm like, I don't know. Forget it. I don't need anything. It's too much. It's too much. It's overwhelming. And of course, we know too that when we go on the internet, we either find out more information than we want to know, as I did when I searched to find out what actually happens in a knee replacement surgery. Don't look for that. You'll see live operations happening that will make sure you never do that to yourself, or you see stuff you just wish you could unsee, you know? You just see stuff you wish you could unsee. So the result is we can't discern truth and reality with all of these data points. We don't know what's true anymore. We can't discern what's true. And then our changing culture is having an impact on our values, because if we go back a little bit in time, what we valued, we valued tradition, I love that we sang, great is our faithfulness. Do you know that when we sang that song, your voices were two or three times louder than when we sang the first song? It's because that song, it's tradition. It's like we love that song. For those of us who grew up in the church, that has deep roots with our hearts. So we used to love tradition. We used to love community. We used to value extended family. Those were our treasured aspects of life. But there's been this switch. And now what we value is self-sufficiency. We value independence. We value individual growth. We value personal fulfillment. Those are our highest goals. And you know what that's led to? That's led to a surge of people who are feeling really lonely and really isolated, really self-preoccupied. Narcissism has never been so high. We're super self-preoccupied. We're confused. Maybe this is you. Maybe this is somebody that you know. This is what's happening to our culture. And you know what? It's having an impact on our faith. People are questioning whether absolute truth exists. Is God real? I mean, I can search that on the internet and find as many data points for and against that answer. Is the word true? Is the Bible true? Can scripture be believed? What about all these contradictions? How do we understand these things? How can we be sure his word is true? How do we anchor to God in the midst of this ever-changing, overwhelming world? How do we discern his presence? How do we know what to believe? And so what's happening in our culture is we're like turning to video games and cat videos. We don't know how to, we don't know what to believe. We don't know that truth actually exists. And that's very difficult for us. So that's why I'm so glad we can come here to the river. I'm so glad. This is a place that's meant to be a place of refuge for your soul. It's a place to step out of the crazy. It's a place to set aside time every week to just come to worship God, to be in community with other women of all different ages, to pray for one another, to get to know each other. You know, that, that loneliness, that despairing isolation thing, the independence that we have strived for, has just left us feeling empty. You know, what we really need is real FaceTime, looking at each other in the eyes, hugging each other a warm body, being with people. That's how God's designed his church, for people to come together and have real community. This doesn't take God by surprise that we're living in this world. 
He saw it. And I'm so thankful that he calls his people out to be together in community. And that's what the river is. But more than that, the river is where we come together to open the word of God, to see what does he say, and to identify a foundation and a truth for our lives. The Bible reveals God's truth to us. Now, we see evidence of God all around us. We go to beautiful places. We live in Oregon in the fall. Oh, my goodness. God's beauty testifies of his presence. That's what Romans says to us in Romans 1.20. It says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they, people, are without excuse. Romans tells us that, look, all around you is the glory of God. God made this world, and we see evidence of his glory and of his presence all around us. So we're without excuse to know that there is a God in the world. But there are certain things that we can only know about God from the Bible. The Bible tells us about his character. It shows us how he interacts with his people. It tells us his plan and his purpose. What's happening in the world and where are we going and what are we doing? It tells us how valuable we are, how much we matter to him. So the Bible reminds us also that in this world that is constantly changing, that is rapidly paced and throwing information at us from right and left, we know that God is unchanging. His character is unchanging. His plan and his promises are unchanging. He is the same God in the Old Testament in Genesis as he is at the very end in Revelation as he will be forever and ever and ever. Do you know what an anchor that is in your life when you just know that one truth, that God is unchanging? He's not changing. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his word is the same. It's truth. The Bible is one consistent story from the beginning to the end. Oftentimes, people will, will say, you know, I love the New Testament. It's all about Jesus. But I don't like the Old Testament. I don't understand all that stuff. It's the same story. It starts in Genesis and it ends in Revelation. And the Old Testament foreshadows the coming of Christ. And the, the law and the prophets foreshadow the coming of Christ. And the Gospels tell of the coming of Christ. And then the rest of it tells of how we live in Christ as the church, as we wait his second coming, and then he's going to come, and then it tells about how we're going to be with him forever. It's one story. It's a beautiful story, a story of the truth of who we are, how we got here, and what's to come. God is the author of the Bible. That's why it's true. He's the one who authored it. Either you can say directly breathing out this truth or um, speaking 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. He used human authors to write, but he did so at the direction of his Holy Spirit. So he communicated through human authors what he, authors what he wanted us to know. The personalities of the different authors are reflective in their writings. So we can see there's different styles of writing. There's poetry, there's wisdom, there's narrative, there's prophecy, and there's, there's different types of, of, of writings, but there's also, and different personalities are seen as we look at the Gospels, but it's God using human authors to write without error what he gave them to direct them, them to write. Second Peter 1 says that knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, 
For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Sixty-six books are in the Bible, written by 40 different human authors. And this year, we're studying the first five books of the Bible. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those five together, they're called the Pentateuch. We could have called the study the Pentateuch, but you would have gone, ah, that doesn't sound interesting. So we called it redeemed, because that's the story. Um, But the Pentateuch, penta means five, and tuch means scrolls. So they're the first, they're the five scrolls, and Moses is the author of all five. So he's the one that wrote what we're going to be studying today. The Bible is a love story to mankind. It is not a textbook on Christianity. It is a love story from God to mankind. It's an invitation by him to embrace a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we study um, this year, we're going to discover how God so beautifully prepares his people in the Old Testament for his promised Redeemer, Jesus Christ, who comes at the center of history at the cross and then um, invites us into a relationship with him through faith in Christ. It's absolutely a beautiful story from Genesis to Revelation. Now, the river is called the river because it's based on John 7, verses 37 through 38. Jesus said this. He stood up and he cried out into the crowd and he said, If anyone thirsts, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. After I've shared with you about what's happening in our world and how crazy and overwhelmed and information overload we have, wouldn't you say you're parched? Parched for living water? Doesn't it make you thirsty to be spinning, to be interrupted, to be so full of competing desires for your attention? The river is a place to come and drink that living water. It's a place to be refreshed. And so there are eight things that we aim to accomplish um, in our time together in this course of this year. And I just want to share this with you really fast. First of all, one of our distinctives, one of our purposes is that we come together and worship. It is so beautiful to worship as women. It's It's just a sweet, a sweet time. So I invite you to come and just to settle your heart a little bit early if you need to. Get your kids settled downstairs if you need to. And just come and be ready to worship. Just let everything flush away and center your heart and mind on the Lord. We also come to meet Jesus. We come to meet him as our Savior. And we come to know him, especially those who don't know him. This is a place, a safe place, where you can just come to know him, to get to know him. We come to study the Bible in great depth. We use the Bible to study the Bible. So you don't need commentaries. You just need your Bible. And we'll use the Bible to study the Bible. We come to apply truth to our lives. We want to not just fill our minds with a lot of information. We want to let it soak into our hearts. Because God's word and God's spirit together is transforming. It takes hearts of stone and turns them into hearts that are soft and receptive to him and attentive to him. And so we want to be able to allow him to do a work in our lives. So we're going to, as we're sharing in our lessons, we're not just going to talk about what we're learning. We're going to talk about what God's doing, how he's challenging us to change our thinking or to be more um, like Christ in how we engage with other people. Um, We want to also practice sharing the gospel. So one of the things that you do in your discussion groups 
you don't realize this, but as you're, as you're talking and you're sharing your answers and you're, you're telling what God's doing in your life, you're also practicing how to talk to other people about the Lord and about the Bible and about what you're learning. And so that gives you greater courage as you go out into the world to tell a coworker or a neighbor or someone at school, hey, this is what God's doing in my life. This is what I'm learning about him. It gives you a greater ability to share this good news with other people. We're also here to build fellowship. Um, We want to know each other. We don't want to live as isolated, independent, lonely, depressed people. We want to live in community. We want to be known and we want to know and we want to have friends and we want to recognize people when we see them out in the street. And we want to build that depth of community that they used to enjoy before 1960. We want to do that here in 2018. We also want to provide prayer support. We want to know how we can pray for each other in our groups. And we want to hold those confidentiality. We want to hold that close to our heart. Not something to be discussed, but just to to pray and to support each other for the things that mean most to us. And then another purpose of of the river is that we, and this is my particular passion, is to identify and call women into leadership. To be able to pour into women leadership um, training so that as women, we can either lead here in our churches or in, our, in the community at large. That we're not afraid of that word leadership. That we know how to lead and we're equipped to do that. Now, as we study the Pentateuch this year, um, we're, what we're going to understand as we go through this study is we're going to see how God created the world. We are going to um, see what went wrong in the Garden of Eden. We're going to see God's plan from the very beginning, Genesis 3.15, to bring a Savior, a Redeemer. We're going to see how that plan then is is unfolded as he calls out a people unto himself, the nation of Israel, as he engages with them, as he has relationship with them. We're going to see their mistakes. We're going to see his faithfulness. And we're going to walk through a time as we look through this for these first five books, we're going to see all along how he's setting up his people for the coming Redeemer, Savior, Jesus Christ. We're going to see how this has all been a preparation for the cross. And we're going to get to know really cool people. We're going to get to know people like, like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses, men of great faith. And there's women in the stories as well that are going to be really, really powerful examples to us. And we're going to be just so encouraged to see how faithful God is. He's so faithful. He never fails on his promises. He never fails on his word. And we're going to get to see, as we look at the beginning of Scripture, we're going to have an eye to where do we stand in this arc of human history. Where are we now in in the plan that God has, has laid out? So we're on this journey together, and we have a lot to learn from each other. But I guess the one thing I just want you to know this morning, and... I just want you to know that God's word is truth. The world is going to say there's no absolute truth. There's no, no, there's no such thing as truth. There is such thing as truth. God's word is truth. And what I love more even than that fact is that in John 1.1, Jesus is called the word. He is the word who was, not only is God, he is the word who was with God in the beginning. So even as we go back to Genesis, we're going to see that Jesus was with God. Through him, all things were made. He's right there in the beginning. And we're going to see as it unfolds that God's word is truth. And it's, he's proven his own truth in the history of the world according to his word. And so we can go out in the world and have an anchor point. As things are spinning and the world is swirling and we've got information overload, 
we have a foundation to stand upon that we can trust in because it's true. So we are on this journey together this year. And I want to just quickly tell you how I think you can get the most out of the study. What you need to know is that the lessons are longer this year. I know. Can you believe it? That doesn't mean that there are more questions. There are not more questions to answer, but there's more reading because we're reading five books of the Bible, right? And they're not short books. But I have a, I have a tip for you. Um, the thing that's great about the reading this year is that it's epic narrative. It's adventure. It's an amazing story. It's not like reading, you know, like 10 chapters of, of Ephesians, right, which was mind-boggling last year. It's, it's reading an amazing story. And so, um, you, but your time is, is going to be taxed with the study this year. So I want to give you tips. I've tried to do some things to make it easy for you. First of all, this is a great, great study for you actually to put some headphones on, take a walk, and listen to the Bible being read to you. Like I said, it's story, it's adventure, it's exciting. Listen to it on a Bible app. Um, there's Bible apps that you just click and you hear a reader and you hear this amazing British voice in a deep tone talking to you about God. It's just, you're like, you think it's God himself? And, do that. It's great. And t- just work it into your routine, uh, your exercise routine, or out in nature, driving in the car. Put it on. Listen to it. Just let the story fill your heart. There's nothing more important that you can do this year than just be in the Word. So if you are in the Word and you listen or you read and then you do nothing, you don't answer any other questions, that's perfect. That's the best thing because God meets you in that place. Um, But then let's say that you have um, a really busy week, you're able to read, you're able to listen, but then you just don't have time to do all your questions. This year, um, starting on lesson three, we've designed something called the core four. So in your lesson, there's questions, four questions that are highlighted in a different color. And I've gone through the study and identified that these are the questions where we're going to have the best discussion. They're the questions that either highlight the redemption theme or they're questions that bring out applications. So if you've listened or read the story, you can answer those four questions, and your leaders are going to spend a little more time there so you can have great discussion in those places. That's second layer. Best of all, of course, is that you take your schedule, you stop the madness, you turn off the phones, get away from the TV, find a quiet space, and you just spend a little bit of time every day just a little bit of time, because God is going to meet you in the study. It's going to be so rich. The blessing is all yours. This is a tool. The blessing is all yours. It's an invitation to meet with him, to enter in, and to enjoy the journey. There's going to be so much richness that you're going to enjoy. But the most important thing is, I don't want you not to come because you feel like you had one of those weeks where you didn't get anything done, questions are blank, Don't not come because of that. We want you here. God can meet you in the worship. He can meet you through the teaching. And he can meet you as a listener in your group. If you just come and listen, you're going to know somebody better. And so just come. Half the battle of anything in life is just showing up. 